My faith background is Christian, and when I read through the Gospels, I, I see Jesus reaching out to the poor, and I, I see a special connection there. And I've also experienced that connection, that, that narrative that whenever you're serving the poor, you're serving Christ. Like That means that's how we can see Jesus, is by interacting with the poor. And my life is richer, and I, I need that. Like I, I need to see Jesus. Like I need to be around the poor in that way. My guest today is Jen Lewis, the founder of Person Clutch. I met Jen about a decade ago when she was teaching at a school in Honduras where my father was also teaching at the time. After leaving Honduras and getting another degree from John Brown University, she started Purse and Clutch. Now, Purse and Clutch is about art, about connection, and about sustainability. They work directly with artisans in Guatemala and Ethiopia, providing thoughtfully designed and ethically made handbags to help end the cycle of poverty and to be a part of changing the fashion industry for good. And that's all I'm going to say about that because I want you to hear the story from her mouth here in a few minutes. She is wise. She's full of passion and love for others. And there's so much to learn from her in our conversation today. Also, her and her husband just had a baby, baby Gray Elise. So congrats, Jen. Hope mothering is going well so far. Before we begin our conversation, I want to answer a question that one of our listeners, Kayla, sent me on Instagram. I think you'll find the answer helpful, so stick with me. This is something that so many damn givers experience, and I have too. Both of these things addressed in this question. So here's the question. Kayla asks, what do I do with burnout when there is so much wrong and you don't know where to go? When you feel like you have barely any dams left to give? Also, Advice on if your parents, family, friends aren't supportive of your nonprofit work, ministry work, charitable work that doesn't pay well. This is a fantastic question, Kayla. This We could talk for an hour on this, but we won't because we have a podcast to get to. But this is super important, so I want to address it for a second. First part of the question, for the sake of answering the burnout part of this question well, think of your body, the human body, as a vehicle to run optimally Every vehicle needs oil changes, the correct fuel, frequent checkups, new parts, etc. This seems normal and right for our vehicles, but so many times we humans, you and I, don't treat our bodies very well. And we treat our bodies in our lives as if we're invincible, as if we're incapable of crashing and burning. But this is simply not true. We can crash and burn. We do it very often because we don't do a certain number of things that will help us stay in the race for the long term. So to avoid burnout, you need to take care of your body. You need to pace yourself. You need to put the right things in it so that when it's time to put out, you will be ready to do that. For you to be able to do these things, I can't tell you what those things are. For you to be able to do these things, you have to get to know yourself super well because your body and your life will tell you what you need to do. But that requires slowing down. It requires taking inventory of what's going on, what needs to stay, what needs to go. It's a simple and difficult thing to address because if we just take the time to slow down and listen to our bodies, we will know what it is we need to do to avoid burnout. The part 2B of that question, that was 2A, the burnout. The 2B was when you barely have any dams left to give, when there's so much wrong, you don't know where to go. It goes hand in hand with the first part of that question, I think, but it is a little more difficult because we can get burnt out simply by getting on Twitter, getting on Facebook, 
taking too much information in without the ability to do anything about it or without the ability to do anything about the, the amount of information that we put in. So what I would suggest, what I would humbly suggest to you, Kayla, is limit your intake based on how much you can do. For all of history, there have been so many things wrong in the world, so many things that we can do, so many things that are out of our control. And if we don't figure out how to limit the amount of bad news and just reality stuff into our lives, it will get very complicated very quickly. And so I would suggest, I don't know what kinds of things you take in on a daily basis, social media, whether it's printed news or however you get your stories, limit, figure out how much you need to keep and how much needs to go so that you can be in it for the long haul. Because I, Kayla, I want you to be in it for the long haul. I want all damn givers to be in it for the long haul. But if we don't pace ourselves, it's going to be very difficult. And also make sure you're taking in more good news than bad news. Make sure you are also recognizing the stories and the good things that are happening in the world because there are so many good things happening. Follow my friend, Brandon Harvey, who runs Good, Good, Good Company. Um, it's at Good, Good, Good Co. on all social media and the Sounds Good podcast. He focuses so much on the good news happening in the world. And I try to, but I I can get caught in this cycle of uh, recycling bad news as well. And I'm trying to get better at that. Oh, and then the last part of that question, which is family. This is tough and also very easy. Not just family, family, parents, friends, people that are close to you. That's the tough part of this question is that we're talking about people that are usually family or people that you love a lot. On the other hand, the answer is very simple because it's the same answer almost every time. And the answer, in my opinion, is try your best to educate them. Try to convey your vision and passion for whatever it is you want to do. Be patient. Go slowly. Listen to wise counsel. And note that I said wise counsel because most counsel sucks and is bad. And a lot of counsel you should just disregard. Um, you shouldn't even entertain it, in fact, because if you know it's somebody that's going to give you bad advice, bad counsel, ignore it. And as tactfully and as kindly as you can, don't even give them a space in your life to speak that bad counsel, but listen to wise counsel. So that's the easy part. That's what you need to do each and every time. But at the end of the day, if your family, your friends, your parents are still not on board, you must move on and move forward. Not move on from your friendship necessarily. Maybe with some of them you do, but just move on from the conversation, whether it's you having a conversation with them saying, we're not going to talk about this anymore. This is what I feel called to do. This is what I want to do and need to do. Maybe that's how you move forward. Or maybe sometimes you need to shut that relationship down if it's a friend or even a family member that doesn't have your best interest in mind. Because that negativity can be poison and it can keep us from living out our calling, living out the thing that we're supposed to be doing. Mel Robbins, superhuman and author of The Five Second Rule, tweeted these wise words yesterday. So perfect timing with recording this. She said, don't feel bad about outgrowing the people who had the chance to grow with you. Don't feel bad about outgrowing the people who had the chance to grow with you. That, I believe, is very wise counsel. As you educate those around you, as you listen to wise counsel, as you go slowly and be patient with them, as you do all of that, if they are still stuck behind in their rut, in their poisonous, harmful mindset, not letting you do what you're called to do, leave them behind outgrow them. You are outgrowing them because you, you really want to give a damn and you really want to pursue this passion and this certain people or this certain topic or this certain thing. 
outgrow them. You're outgrowing them, so leave them behind. And I don't say that lightly, because some, sometimes this might cause rifts in relationships and family members and all that. But you ultimately, you are called to live out your life passion. You are called to do what you're placed on earth to do, despite the negativity of those around you. So I hope that question is helpful. That was a little bit lengthy, but that was a very packed question. We could literally spend one, two, three hours on this, but I hope that was helpful. I want to go back one second just to give you an idea, going back to the burnout real quickly as I wrap this up, because I told you I can't tell you what to do because you have to figure out your things. I want to tell you what my things are, just so you can get an idea of the kinds of ways that I uh, avoid burnout, the kinds of things I do to avoid burnout. One, proper diet. I engage in intermittent fasting. I drink a shit ton of water every day. Um, and I try my best, even during the eight hours of the day that I am eating, I try my best to eat things that are going to be good fuel for my body, right? So proper diet, reading, getting off of social media, getting off of the internet, shutting the, the laptop screen down and reading uh, a real book and or a Kindle. Cause a Kindle, I still think is, you can't really do much on a Kindle except for read. So I think that still counts. But proper diet, reading, meditating, I have not done as much of this as I should and could and want to, but I still do it. And every time I find it super helpful. So find your version of meditating. I'm not, I'm not even talking about transcendental meditation, TM. I'm talking about clearing your mind, clearing your head, clearing your life and using that. And I use Headspace when I do meditate. So I would check that out as well. And then lastly, one that's a little more enjoyable for me, but also helps me avoid burnout is when I sit down a couple times a week for a couple hours for coffee and a pipe or cigar. That is my way of avoiding burnout because I get to, it just totally unwinds me, totally relaxes me, and I get to not think about all the other shit happening in the world at that moment. So hope that answer is helpful for you. I got a few more questions from y'all that I will answer very soon. This week, I'm gonna record a quick YouTube video and share it on our social media channels answering some of those questions. I got four or five others that I really, really want to address. And so I'm going to make a quick YouTube video, put that on my YouTube channel and share it on our social media channels. So make sure you're following at Nick Laparo or at Let's Give a Damn so that you can get those when the video goes live. Make sure you're following us for that reason. Okay, make sure you stick around to the very end for a very generous offer from Jen and Person Clutch for you. Let's get into our conversation today. My name is Nick Lapara. This is the Let's Give a Damn podcast, and here's my conversation with Jen Lewis. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. And I have the one, the only Jen Lewis on the line. Super stoked to have her with us. Jen, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me, Nick. You're very welcome. Thank you for joining me. And you're joining us from your home in Austin, Texas, I presume. That's right. We uh, we just had snow yesterday, which is that's what I heard. Weird. So I, everything feels kind of magical and, and strange here in Austin today. <laughs> I've had friends, all my Texas friends from you know Austin, and my friend Seth and the hat makers and others that were posting all of their photos of snow. And <laughs> my wife showed me one of them last night, and I was like, "That's no, no, no. They're they're doing like a it's some joke or something, or they're doing like a things from some other year." I was like, "There's no way there's that much snow in Austin," but it's true. You're saying yeah. it's true. It's true. And like everything stops, like everyone's Instagram story. I have, you know, a text from my brother of his kids and like the tiny snow that stuck. And they're like, you know, we made a tiny snowman. I mean, it's, it's a novelty. It, it really does. It feels kind of magical. 
That's hilarious. Well, enjoy it while it lasts because you may or may not see that again this year, I'm sure. So true. Um, so maybe after the podcast, you can go outside and play in the snow for a little bit. Before we get into the conversation, you recently became a mother. How does that feel? How is she doing? What's going on? Yeah, gosh, it's wonderful and terrifying and fantastic all at the same time. So our daughter, Gray, is about nine weeks old. And wow. it is, it really is. It's incredible. It um, Suddenly, every little coo is the cutest thing in the world. And every little cough is like, life is over. How do I fix it? And um, it's been great, a roller coaster and an interesting kind of trying to, to run a business while having a, a newborn, but um, oh, I'm sure it, it still feels like an adventure. So I feel like we're we're doing okay over here. <laughs> That's never going to go away, Jen. We're, we're, <laughs> we're three children in, and still, every time they cough or like, I literally think all the time, like I just like pray. Like I know this is super morbid and terrible, but like I'm like I hope they're alive when I go in there because like you just never know. They've been sleeping for like sometimes my kids they sleep for you know, 12 hours on average a night. And sometimes they sleep in to 8, 8.30 and we don't hear a noise from them. And I'm like, oh gosh, Lord, help me. Something's uh, this, wrong. You know, something's <laughs> wrong. And so I like peek in and like watch them breathing. So that's, and I assume that I'll still do that for, you know, years and years to come. So, but that's really cool. I'm, I'm glad the first nine weeks have been great and fun and it only gets better. Kids are awesome. So congrats there. So you and I actually have kind of a weird like history because- and we're going to get into when I ask you about your story, um, you know, I'm sure Honduras will come up, but I met you briefly in Honduras years and years ago because my parents worked at a school in Honduras uh, just outside of Tegucigalpa and you were there. And so that's interesting that now we're reconnecting, gosh, uh, 10 years later, oh something like that. It has been 10 years. Yeah, yeah, Wait. yeah. It's crazy. So why don't we get to your story so I can find out more about because I don't know what led up to Honduras and what happened after that. So go back. Basically, what I'm looking for and what I want the listeners to get a sense of is what are the things that the things, the people, the situations that shaped who you are today? Because obviously you give so many dams. That's why you're on the show. And I'm so excited to talk about Person Clutch and how that came about. But that all started somewhere, right? Some, whether it was a, a series of situations or whether it was one thing that happened that really just like changed the way you think and act and live. Take me back as far back as you want to go and just give us the lowdown on your story and how these things came to be. Yeah, man, where to even start? I feel like it, for me, it's definitely lots of little things that kind of added up and what felt like almost accidents that kind of turned into this trajectory. Um, so my dad actually grew up in uh, Jos, Nigeria. And then when I was growing up, his two brothers lived in um, different parts of Africa. So I always heard kind of about different cultures and traveling and um, was always really fascinated by the idea that you can kind of take what you're good at and what you love and and have an impact and that a lot of it was was about connecting. And so I feel like that's kind of the the beginning points of seeing kind of how my uncles and then you know my dad's experience growing up um, just the idea that you can travel and that you can live in other places and that different cultures are interesting and exciting and, and, and adventurous. So I kind of knew I wanted to do something with that and didn't know what. And so traveled a little bit in high school, spent, you know, a week or two in Mexico, spent a summer in Bolivia um, where I got to work with this really great nonprofit that kind of had a business model background um, where they would sell really, really good coffee. I mean, and this was like 15 years ago before coffee was even like... Yeah, 
I want everybody to still serve coffee in styrofoam cups. Right. Uh, and and pour right. sugar all over it. Yeah. Exactly. And like, didn't really know that you could be like a coffee connoisseur. So they kind of, um, I feel like we're at the forefront of that. And then the profits went to fund these really um, small house-like orphanages. And so actually I, th- I went to Bolivia thinking I was going to be working in an orphanage, but actually ended up spending the summer building orphanages. So oh, that's a little kind different. Of, uh, yeah, kind of a different experience, um, but really enjoyed the culture and really fell in love with, with South America, with kind of Latin America and um, kind of wanted to, to do something. But again, I didn't really know what. So Went to college in Northwest Arkansas, a really small private Christian school called John Brown University. And I got a degree in chemistry because I liked chemistry in high school and I thought it would be a challenge. <laughs> I, I tend to, to do things that seem challenging. I don't know if it's like a sucker for, for a hardship or what, but I ended up loving it, but had no idea how to connect chemistry with you know this heart for for Central and South America that I felt like it was developing. So I was going to go to grad school for um, for nutritional studies, thinking maybe I could do something in helping farmers and um, agriculture. But my chemistry, one of my chemistry professors let me know that there was a teaching position open at this um, small bilingual school in Honduras. Um, and would I be interested in kind of taking over from the current chemistry teacher for a year while I think her husband was maybe... Um, taking a sabbatical of some kind and they're going back to the States. And so I thought, well, I might as well, right? Like if this is an opportunity to, to live in another country, like, sure, let's do it. Like, let's just dive in and see. So sold my car and <laughs> my parents thought I was crazy, but crazy, but like trying to be supportive, but also like, I, yeah, I remember them asking multiple times, like, is it the murder capital of Central America? Like, what are you doing? Like you're tw- 21, 22. So anyways, went there for a year, um, found out that I was really not good at teaching, had no experience in teaching high school or, yeah, but still That's a really, fun way to find out once you're hired right? to do that. Oh my gosh. I was in over my head in so many different ways. I mean, I have really, really fond memories now, but wow, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but on the weekends, I would go out to... Um, different nonprofits and volunteer. And I feel like I got to really see the ones that were really effective and thoughtful with the work that they were doing. And then the ones that it was clearly an outsider, like dropping in, like dropping something off that they decided that someone needed and leaving. So I feel like I saw, yeah, some really great examples and some really poor examples of what what help look like um, within that. So realizing like, okay, I'm not going to be teaching. I, you know, what, what could be that next thing? I decided to, to go back to school um, and thought that maybe business could be a way that I could have a, a bigger impact. So went back to John Brown University and got a master's in leadership and ethics. So I went from chemistry, which is like, everything is black and white to like ethics, which like nothing is. And oh, like, gosh, everything yeah. is gray. And yeah. I feel like my brain exploded so many times. I was like, I can't, I can't put these two worlds together, but really had a great experience. Um, I had a, um, a fellowship um, with a kind of a, le- a nonprofit leadership uh, training company. And we worked mainly with Walmart suppliers where we really taught leadership and ethics and managerial skills. And I got to see lots of different business models um, within that fellowship and got to teach some undergraduate leadership courses. And I feel like I really, really learned a lot and really grew a lot those two years getting my master's. But then I was ready to come back to Texas. 
I'm sure everyone's rolling their eyes who's not from Texas, but Texas is great. And there's something about it that like calls you back. Anyways, I know that's cheesy, but no, I mean, I am one of those that doesn't see anything impressive (laughs) about Texas, even though I've spent a lot of time there. I would, I would under the right circumstances, I would move to Austin, Yeah, but that's also the cliche hipster millennial thing to say, but I've been everywhere in Texas and I still am like, I don't get it. But then you see people that just, I feel like people from Texas, they are obviously Texas's biggest fans, but they have a much higher appreciation for their state, for their home than most states, right? Most people are like, yes. eh, they feel very eh about their home. So what I do appreciate is that people like freaking love it, right? Yeah, like we um, own it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I my, my wife, I don't watch it that much, but my wife loves the Gaineses and Fixer Upper, right? That's big, big Texas claim to fame. When I look at, you know, Waco and, you know, when they're doing their like shots and stuff, I'm like, how could anyone ever live there? Like there's nothing around there, you know, but people love it, right? People love it. So, well, I can definitely see leaving Arkansas to go back to Texas as well. Like Texas. Well, I don't know. Actually, Arkansas is gorgeous. Like the Northwest part, there's like four real seasons. Like I had never seen fall where it's not just like the leaves turn brown. There were like vivid colors. And right when you're tired of fall, like winter comes and Texans don't get mad. But like, I think Arkansas might be more beautiful. I think with Texas, I think it's just in your blood. I mean, and I I mean, my family's here too. And so of course that plays a big part, but. No, 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 definitely. I I understand that. I've driven through Arkansas a couple of times. I have a friend in Jonesboro. Yes, a very beautiful drive. And you're right. Texas isn't a looker, right? Like there are a lot of like. (laughs) Got heart. (laughs) Right. It's just, yeah, exactly. Like it's got grit, you know, Friday night lights and fixer upper and just so many great things, but it's not a state where you're like, oh, wow, look at that beautiful scenery. Cause it is just a bunch of like, it's a vastness of like nothing because it's such a big, big place, right? Totally. Um, so, okay. Thank you for that context there with your story. So quick question about Honduras. Do you think that your time there hardened you at all toward, because it is a very dangerous place, right? I grew up in Guatemala. Then my parents moved to Honduras. So they experienced, we experienced that for decades, right? Um, and I've seen horrible, horrible things happen right in front of me. People get murdered, people get shot, people get kidnapped. Like, does that, for you, did that harden you or did it give you, actually soften you and give you more empathy for people? Or what was your experience coming out of your season of life in a place like Honduras, Tegucigalpa specifically? Yeah. You know, I think a little bit of both. I think it it softened my heart for people with really limited opportunities because I think I got to see that so much more long-term versus, you know, in Bolivia, again, I was doing construction or a week in Mexico or, or you know, working on, just, you know, just such short term. So to be able to see like week after week, the same families and to see kind of what they really needed, I think um, realizing too that oftentimes what was needed was was pretty small and would make a pretty big impact. So there was like a child sponsorship program that I worked with, and it was thirty dollars a month to support a kid. And I saw you know the effect that it had when they were able to eat healthy meals and go to school. and And then I started thinking in terms of thirty dollars, and I'm like, that's dinner. Like that's dinner for me once, like versus a week. And so I feel like in in those terms, it really kind of shifted the way I see. I see money and, and resources. So I think in terms of kind of nonprofit and, and help, I think it really softened me. I think as, as a woman, it really hardened me. I remember coming back and just being so angry with men because of cat calls. I noticed that, well, I know after 
going back to the States that I had started wearing all dark colors. I stopped wearing makeup. I would, you know, put my hair in a ponytail and I would, I would not make eye contact with anyone. I would look at the ground. I mean, I would like try to disappear in public, which is hard. I mean, I'm like almost six foot. I'm very pale. Like I have very light blue eyes. Like it's very hard to kind of blend in. And I, I found myself really shrinking as a woman, not wanting to be noticed and finding that that was really, really difficult. And so I think it probably, I mean, I'm probably still recovering to some extent um, about what that entails. That's a great answer. And obviously I'm not a a woman, so I didn't experience that side of it, but I think it did a a lot of both for me as well, spending 10 years in Guatemala and then spending another six or seven collective years, you know, in other developing countries, mostly like I've, I've spent time in amazing, great cities and countries, but mostly I'm attracted to, like humble people of developing worlds. But anyway, I feel like it's done both for me as well. I have a much higher empathy for people and just being slow to speak and slow to judge certain situations. And at the same time, yeah, I mean, like my hardness, right, isn't the recovering from, you know, being catcalled and all that. But for me, I have a hard time not judging people that don't get it. And I don't know if you experienced that, like just seeing people that, that have never been out of, you know, the three surrounding states or never been out of their state all that much, casting judgment on peoples that have fought so hard to get to where they are, people that have come out of terrible, just shitty lifestyles and situations to be where they are today. For those people, right, that just don't know, to be casting judgment and to be making like swift judgments and, you know, conclusions about certain people. Like I just, after seeing all the things I've seen, I have a hard time shutting up or not casting my own judgment on them. I'm not mad that I feel that way. I've just had to learn, yeah, shouting and screaming and typing on Twitter doesn't get the job done. How can I channel this? Right. Yeah, to see like actual change happen because I can't change the fact, like I I said 30 seconds ago, they don't know, right? So part of that's like, how do you not know in 2017? Like, get out, go, like, don't go to Disney again this year for your vacation. Like, go to go to Guatemala or go to Morocco, go somewhere that you could spend the same amount of money, right? Go to go to Portugal, same amount of money as Disney, and you'll actually get out and meet people that you don't look like you, think like you, act like you, talk like you, and you'll gain empathy for the people of the world. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I've had to do my own, and I'm far from being dumb, but I've had to do my own like I got hardened and it hasn't been an easy thing to recover from and really, you know, learn how to use well, right? I haven't, I don't use it super well yet, but yeah. I'm trying. Yeah, man. I'm trying. So you do a master's at John Brown. What was the journey from there to person clutch, right? So what happened there? And then after we share that little bit, we'll talk about person clutch, what you all do um, the impact you're having, all of that, because I'm so excited to share that with uh, the friends here. So what's the journey there? Yeah, so I really picked Austin semi-arbitrarily. Like I have, you know, I have family in North Houston. I have family just east of Dallas. And I kind of wanted a big-ish city, but not not Houston big. Um, and so I had a friend from high school. My friend Robin lived in Austin. And I thought, well, I'll just stay with her for a couple months and see if I can if I can figure this out. Um, and Austin is kind of known for having um, a lot of nonprofits and being caring and caring for others and having an open mind. And so I was excited about that. So ended up working at a nonprofit, kind of creating my own job or almost creating my own job um, at a nonprofit called Mobile Loaves and Fishes. 
and they work with the homeless and they were doing some really, really innovative stuff. So typically the idea with the homeless uh, work at the time was called housing first model. And so the idea was it's actually less expensive for the city if you can put the homeless in some sort of housing, which I thought was really fascinating. And I loved the idea that they were approaching it with such a, um, I don't know, such a political mindset where it's like, no, we can pitch the city and we can get funding because this is actually saving the city money. So that was the idea, housing first, um, but mobile loaves and fishes kind of took it to the next level and, and took it in terms of community first, which I think is really powerful in my life too, right? Like, of course, the people around me are going to have an effect. And so if someone's struggling with an addiction, you know, let's say they're struggling with an addiction to alcohol and then all of their, all of their friends in their community are drinking heavily. Like they don't stand a chance. Like that's setting them up for, for failure, um, for, as an example. So, so this idea of community was that we were kind of switching it out to a healthier community and what that looked like. And so I was the community coordinator for this little kind of pilot project that we were doing, which meant that we were housing the homeless in, um, in different trailer parks throughout the city. And there was one kind of main trailer park that we worked at. And I um, got to live in the trailer park um, with uh, kind of the homeless. And then it was also just a regular trailer park. So it was really fascinating to kind of live, live where I was working to try to make, you know, make connections um, and, and build this community. And so another project that we kind of had within that was creating a uh, long-term jobs. And so we, we tried to, um, it didn't necessarily work at the time, but we tried to garden in people's backyards and then sell the produce at the farmer's market. And so I kind of got to see some of the challenges and some of the benefits of long-term job creation and who that worked for and who that didn't work for and kind of what that could look like. So all that to say, like, that was, of course, exhausting, right? Living, living where you're working and trying to create community. So ended up kind of at the time thinking, you know, what's going to be the next thing? And one of my best friends from grad school had just moved to India and she was working with an artisan group that did these like incredible, like ancient block printing techniques um, that are just absolutely beautiful. And they took the regular like block print, like wooden block prints and they um, did like a modern twist on it. So this was like 20, 2011. So it was like gray Chevron, right? That was like everywhere, like gray Chevron. And so they were doing that in this block print and making these handbags. And it was like, I had never thought about that before. Like, oh, right. Like you can, they just need that connecting piece. So I asked them how I could help. And they said, well, why don't you just sell our stuff online? And so, you know, six years ago, this was before like Shopify and all these like really easy e-commerce things. And so I basically just researched, you know, whatever I could find to create an online company and researched um, until the bags got here and then started figuring out how to sell them online. Um, and then from there, we started working with other artisan groups that kind of had existing products. And I tried to really curate products that I feel like fit maybe a more modern lifestyle because typically fair trade will have a, re a really specific look, especially six years ago. It was like khaki and paisley and, you know, like very specific. And I was like, I wear solid colors. I want a solid bag. I want, I want a really high quality purse that isn't just going to go in my closet because I felt good about buying it, but like I, that I really love. And so curated the best that we could find um, from existing artists and groups. And then last year we, st we kind of launched our own line. And so now we work directly with um, artisans in Guatemala actually, and in uh, Ethiopia to make our own designs and our own product. And we kind of oversee production starting from like 
a raw piece of cotton all the way up to the finished product. That's amazing. So tell me, what's the connection to Guatemala, right? So you you know that I spent a lot of time there. I've already mentioned that. Like, So why Guatemala, Ethiopia, but Guatemala specifically? I looked at some of your team online and there's several you know, committed just to overseeing the work in Guatemala. So how, how did that c- kind of come about? No, totally. Well, and <laughs> I want to say it was, it was random. I mean, random is like certainly not the right word, maybe serendipitous. Um, so this was a group that we had been working with before. We were curating their clutches. They had these little wristlets that were really well made. And I started talking with, with the owner at the time, Angela, and she is like, big picture designer, like thinks of like 80 beautiful color schemes and like, you know, the, the dreamer, right? And I'm the like, the spreadsheet person, the like, the COO, like, how do I make the operation? So like, as we were kind of talking, it was like, I was, you know, I found myself wanting to take over operations or wanting to at least help. And so I, you know, we kept kind of meeting and connecting and it. Um, it turns out that she wanted and felt called to um, homeschool her boys. And so she wasn't going to necessarily be able to continue to run the company in the same way. And so she asked me if I wanted to merge or if I wanted to kind of acquire their group. And I said, yes, absolutely, like immediately. And she was like, don't you need to think about this? I was like, no, like this makes so much sense. So we basically kind of became the umbrella organization. And so Angela still dreams up beautiful designs. Um, Melissa, who was on her team, um, also came over to Person Clutch and she oversees all of the the production from Northwest Arkansas, which is where she lives. And then Lindsay um, lives in Guatemala and um, oversees kind of the kind of the production, but also she has a nonprofit that she started that kind of sees to the to the kind of social and emotional needs of, of the women in our production line. So it really was kind of random to some extent that it was Guatemala, but also Guatemala, as you know, is known for gorgeous textiles and just really amazing things. Whereas I would probably say, oh, you know, my heart is in Honduras, but all the textiles from Honduras come from Guatemala. <laughs> so it, it makes sense if we want to kind of have an impact in Central America that at least for now that Guatemala is the place to do that because because of the amazing talent that they that they have. Yeah, it makes total sense. What's your favorite thing about what you and the team are creating at Person Clutch? Like what's your favorite thing that comes out of the work that you do? That's such a tough question. I because I feel like at each stage of the like process, I feel sure. like we would all say like oh, this is the best part. I feel like we would also maybe say and this is the worst part at each time. But it really is like, it is a work of art. It is um, both relationally as I, you know, watch different members of the team, you know, interacting and Lindsay's doing an amazing job of working. So we have four weavers that we work with um, and she's working with them to get their weaving styles consistent because our customer, you know, when I take a picture of a product, they want to know that this is the product that it looks like. And so She's like done an amazing job of creating this community where they meet every other Thursday and it's, it's become, um, much, much more than just, you know, we weave and we, you know, make money, um, and make a living wage, but we actually, they, they support one another. So I feel like seeing those kind of things is really beautiful. Seeing Angela's designs come to life is really beautiful. She'll like throw out a color scheme and then we, we send those colors to, um, to be botanically dyed. We give them eight colors, you know, we get. 15 and then we mix and match because the botanical dye process is so finicky and it depends on if it's the rainy season and if it was sunny and all these crazy things to where we we have no idea what it's going to look like and I think like 
did Easter just explode on My Little Pony? Or is this a really beautiful chic line? Like, I don't know. Like, who knows until we see the next step of the process. So I think every little step of the design process, I don't know, it's like a new thing to discover and feels like we're winging it, even though we have like very, very specific plans in place. (laughs) So you're giving work to women, right? Men and women in developing countries. I think Guatemala is still pretty developing. There's a lot of amazing things there, but there's still a long way to go. What kind of effect is that having on them? I mean, what what kind of uh, things are happening that would have never happened had you guys not, you know, really embraced this vision and mission, what you want to accomplish through Person Clutch? Like, are there any specific stories or just generally what's going on? Yeah. You know, I think specifically of our of our seamstresses. So we have two seamstresses, Sylvia and Kata. And I think we've worked with them the longest. Um, that was kind of where, where things got started, I believe. And so Sylvia actually used to work at essentially a sweatshop in Guatemala. And we kind of even see traces of that. Um, whenever we, we shift colors to, I mean, it's, it'll be the exact same product in just a different color and you kind of see her get a little overwhelmed and a little nervous. I mean, you see those like deep wounds of, of this past work where, I mean, it would be six days a week for 12 hours a day, not even making enough to support herself and her family. And now, so both of our seamstresses have more school age children. And so they work during the school hours and they're able to support themselves and their families within that work period so that they can also be moms and be home and um, and take care of their families. And so part of it is really, you know, relational and, and emotional health. And then part of it's also really practical. Um, Kata, our other seamstress, was able to start a bank account, which is like unheard of. And um, she's saving up money to put in a concrete floor. I mean, she's, she's working on... Um, really being able to provide for her family. She's got um, a daughter that works with us too, that does all of our leather work in Guatemala and makes these earrings. And she's saving up um, to go to law school, which is also like, I mean, she would never have any of these opportunities. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, we work with, it's a small number of of women in Guatemala, but I believe it's having a really big long-term impact on their lives and on the lives of their families. And, you know, it might just be a few people, but the effect that you're having on these people and the, the effect that they can go on and have, you'll never see the effect of that. But the reality is that you could be changing the course of history or at least Guatemalan history, like, because you don't know, like law school, and then maybe she becomes a politician and then changes the way she becomes the first, like, female Guatemalan president, right? Like, things like that can happen because... Because you don't get discouraged by the one or the two or, oh, it's not, it's not having that much of an effect. Hell yeah, it is. We can't focus on that. It's worth it if we get to do it for one person or two or three. Totally. Um, totally. I agree. I love that. So if you could snap your fingers and your wildest person clutch dreams were to come true, like where do you want this to go? Like what are you aiming toward? Like what's the, what, what do you want to happen here? My low tier wildest dreams. <laughs> okay, give them both. Probably, right. First of all, it would probably be that in the two countries that we're working with, so Guatemala and Ethiopia, that anyone who wanted a fair trade job or you know a living wage job would have it. That um, you know that any village there was a place where they could either be weaving or or, or sewing or dyeing or you know spinning cotton. So that it, that's kind of the the low tier is like, how do we really make it to where 
we, like you said, could have like a, a huge impact on these two countries that we're working with. And then bigger picture is that we would kind of work with different textile techniques in different countries and kind of the same way we've like started with one and then hopefully are continuing to grow throughout the country that we could do that as well. So there's a, there's actually a screen printing company in India um, that I would love to be able to start working with. And they work with women who are rescued from um, sex trafficking. And so I'd love to kind of dive in, dive into that. And they do like really like durable canvas. So we could do a whole product line with that. You know, Indonesia has beautiful textile tech. I mean, there's just so many different things that we could do, but yeah, really, I mean, huge, if I could really snap my fingers and anything could happen would be that anyone in the world who wanted a fair wage job would have it and that sweatshops wouldn't exist and there wouldn't be a, de- a demand for it. And, um, and people would recognize that they are connected to the things that they buy, whether they know it or not, whether they see the person behind it and whether it makes them feel good or not. Right. So like, I just remember, I like always felt great whenever I made an ethical purchase, but I never made the connection that when I buy something that's made in a sweatshop, like if I feel connected when it's just an artisan, like I need to also feel connected when it's a sweatshop. No, that's a humongous point that I would love for those listening to really, really get, to really feel deep down inside that your spending choices are directly affecting the lives of people all over the world, right? Like I'm going to go buy, I don't want to buy a, you know, a $25 shirt. I'd rather buy a $6 shirt so I have money left over to go to the theater, right? Um, so I'm going to go to H&M and then I can go to the theater. And I know H&M is trying, they're doing some different things, but still, they're a good example of like just, just hella cheap clothes that have have questionable things behind the curtains, right? Yeah. And so people have to really get that, that if people are important to you, which everyone should respond yes, a hearty yes to that, then start making your choices. You don't need 12 different pairs of pants. Buy three that make sense for you to buy, right? Buy three from companies that you don't need 14 purses. Buy two from Purse and Clutch. You don't need all of these things. Buy fewer of them, if it does come down to a money thing, buy fewer of them that actually have a lasting impact on the lives of people around the world. Because they are, you buy that $5 shirt, whether you like it or not, you're complicit in X sweatshop, in X country, an X kid never getting ahead because he works 18 hour days for 88 cents a day. You are complicit in making that happen. And we have to really realize that before we let that dictate where we spend our money. But it has to happen. And I think for your wildest dream to come true and for all these companies, we've had Barrett Ward from Fashionable on. We've had the ladies a couple weeks ago from Dumas in in Haiti. We like for these companies to really take off and for, for your dream and their dreams to become a reality. All it takes is for everyone that has a conscience, everyone that has like a, like a heart to just think a little more responsibly about where their money goes. I think people just don't know. I mean, I know I I didn't know. It was probably two years into running Person Clutch before I started shopping ethically with everything that I own because I I just, I I honestly didn't make the connection. And now it seems so obvious because I'm, you know, I'm in it every day, but it really felt like if I'm buying ethically, that's a bonus and I'm happy to support and I didn't have to. And here I'm, you know, being extra generous versus realizing, you know, the effect of, of the other things that I purchase. And it's tough. I I feel like I can get really judgy, but then also like on the other side, it's a journey and you, you just do the next thing or, you you know, you try to find ways to make it, to make it doable because it gets overwhelming so quickly. 
Cause it's hard. It's hard to look things up every single time. Like I'm going to do this research and it, it's ambiguous. And like even H and M, like they're doing this conscious collection and it says it's organic. Like, is that important or is fair wages important? And you know, do they use animal products? And it's like every, it depends on what you value. It depends on, you know, who you talk to. Like, it's so overwhelming. And really, I mean, the resources are getting better. There's a Google Chrome extension called Done Good that like it has a little pop-up in your browser. So like if you're on Amazon, it says like, if you buy this, like, like it's done good approved or like, here's like five other options. Like don't buy from made well, buy from person clutch or fashionable, or here's like similar style. So I feel like things like that are, are making it easier so that it, it isn't just like, okay, I, I need a pair of socks. Like give me 48 hours to do the research because <laughs> who knows? What do you think needs to happen for that to get, I mean, Chrome extensions are fine. Like a page on your website that says generally and briefly where your stuff come from and how they, how much they get paid. Uh, those things help, but is there anything else? Is there anything more we can be doing since, you know, X, Y, and Z person don't have 48 hours to research where to get socks. They just need socks. What's your advice there? So my, my like cheat sheet, my version is I just buy things secondhand. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And then I'm also, you know, helping the environment, getting things out of landfills, giving things new life, repurposing. I mean, that's my like, I, you know, I could use a new pair of jeans or I, you know, just had a baby. So I need a new pair of jeans. Let's be honest. Um, and so the, for me, it's buying secondhand because um, I can feel confident about that until I can do the research. And so then I, I tend to go like one section at a time. So I first, I started, well, of course I started with handbags, but then after that started with shoes and realized like, okay, like I really like, how many shoes do I need? It'd be nice to have a pair of brown boots, black boots, and maybe some like flat loafers. Okay. So in the winter I need three pairs of shoes. So like then when, you know, a pair of shoes that I have now wears out, um, I can get rid of those and then slowly add in the, the more ethical version. Um, so that I know that I'm making an impact, but it's, it doesn't quite feel so overwhelming or, you know, or whenever my, like, I think of, you know, makeup and beauty products, like whenever mascara runs out, like then look that up and do a bit of research. And then I'm not trying to overhaul everything in, you know, in my bathroom, but it's just the one next thing that I'm looking for. Yeah, that's great advice. Uh, and I want to go back to something I said a few seconds ago is that, you know, the ex person might say, I don't have time to do the research. The reality is everyone has the time right? I'm always pushing on people that say, oh, I just don't have time to do that. But then they go watch Netflix for four hours that night. The reality is we we have the time. We're just lazy and we don't want to do the research. That's just the plain truth. Stop making excuses. If you care about people, if you care about lives, Jen, you just gave a great piece of advice, buy secondhand. And, and honestly, again, we have the world at our fingertips with this thing called the, the World Wide Web. You don't need to do a lot of research to find out where these things are coming from or what's the what's a better alternative for you there's so many great companies now 5 10 years ago it wasn't easy to find that stuff now you have no excuse you want a pair of jeans you want a clutch you want sandals you want whatever you need you can get it pretty quickly. Uh, my version of that has been just cutting down on the amount of things that I own. Like for the last two years, I've lived out of two bags, my backpack and a duffel bag. So I have you know, two pairs of pants, six or seven t-shirts, one button-up shirt, and two pairs of shoes. I've lived out of those things for two years. So I think part of it is when you have so many things, so many clothes and so many options, you get overwhelmed. But when you have just very few things, you have the time and the energy to think thoughtfully about, oh, in fact, I just like for months, I've only had 
like more tennis shoes, like Chuck's, you know, Converse All-Stars. And so I needed a pair of like just nicer shoes to put on when I'm going to a meeting or whatever, because my white All-Stars were like so <laughs> shitty and like brown. And so I got a pair of shoes from, I don't even know how to say their name, um, Oliberte. Oh, yeah. The shoe company that, you know, they give jobs to people in sub-Saharan Africa and very eth- ethical company, great, great looking, cool, like hip, funky shoes. And I know that, A, these are going to last me. B, I just gave meaningful work to somebody in sub-Saharan Africa. And it didn't take me that much research because there's so many companies doing these things now, right? It's it's just a good it's a good time for us to really, in a tactful, empathetic way, call people on their bullshit and say, no, you actually can. You can do this. You can make these changes. And it can be fun, too. I mean, I feel like there's so much heaviness around it. And I don't know if it's just so I'm like in my mid-30s. I don't know if I'm just getting older. But I think there's something about people wanting to have more of a signature style instead of just this like fashion trend that this cut of jeans is in style. So let's quick show everyone that I know what's going on and buy these this style versus like, this is a pair of jeans that like fits my body type that looks good on me that is that I don't know, it's more interesting. It's it's so much better than the we're all wearing the same target dress or I don't know, like I think we're beyond that. I also know I live in a bubble in Austin. But I think that there can be something really fun about discovering your own personal style and then really owning that and and hopefully that is going to then kind of speak to your values as well. Why do you give a damn? Why do you do it? Like we've talked about your story, we've talked about person clutch, we've talked about the journey. In like a sentence or two, can you sum up why you do it? So I feel like there's like two prong answer. I feel like there's there's kind of the head level of why I do it. Like, I mean, I was born into so much opportunity. I have an incredibly loving family. I was I felt safe every night. I had an education. Like I was given so much. Um, and then kind of like we talked about, like the more you travel, the more you realize that that's not the norm and that people don't really have that. And so think on, on a head level, realizing kind of the responsibility that I, that I feel that comes with being born into so much opportunity. And then really at a heart level, so my faith background is, is Christian. And when I read through the gospels, I, I see Jesus reaching out to the poor and I, I see a special connection there. Um, and I've also experienced that connection, that, that narrative that whenever you're serving the poor, you're serving Christ. Like that means that's how we can see Jesus is by interacting with the poor and my life is more, is, is richer. And, and I, I need that. Like I, I need to see Jesus. Like I need to be around the poor in that way. I love it. No, that's great. That's great. Okay. We're going to begin to wrap up, but I have a couple questions left. One is a question that I ask everyone that's on the show. It's my favorite question to ask. Sometimes it takes people by surprise. Someday you're going to die. And I hope it's a long, long time from now. I hope you have a long and full life with your family and, you know, doing amazing work with Person Clutch and beyond. But the reality is you're going to die. And sorry for being a little morbid there for a second. But <laughs> but this is the reality. And like we're, we're working toward our legacy, right? We're working to build a legacy that outlives us by centuries and millennia. So for some reason in this scenario, they ask me to give your eulogy, right? So your family's there. Uh, all these men and women from Ethiopia and Guatemala and the people that have bought your products and just all the people that love and appreciate your life and your work are there in this room. And I am giving your eulogy in front of the people that mean the most to you that are there to mourn and celebrate your life. What do you hope that I'll say about your legacy and your life on that day? Wow. Yeah. I I was right to be nervous about this question. (laughs) This is the Uh, big one. Don't mess it it up. No, I'm just kidding. Wow. Uh, no, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful question. Um, 
I think I would want you to to say that I was someone who who really tried to live out what she valued in the little things and in the big things and the things I purchase and in the business I run um, and the way that I interact with my new daughter and, and my husband and, and maybe someone too, that was working to figure out how to, how to love thoughtfully. I'm like, I keep going back to that phrase, but there's something about using your brain and how you love other people. And that I, I worked to try to do that. That's a great legacy. That's a great thing. And I think those things will probably be said about you, I'm sure, if you keep doing the things you're doing, for sure. But love thoughtfully. That's a Obviously, I get the idea, but I, I don't know if I've heard it put that way. And I love that because it just shows the intention behind it, right? It shows that there isn't one way to do it. There isn't one way to take care of people, love people, serve people. It takes thought and intention. And again, going back to some of the things that we've picked up on and talked about in this conversation, I think sometimes people are just too too lazy. They think they're too busy when they see a situation, when they see a person, when they see a thing, to just step back for two seconds and say, what is my role in this? How can I love this person well, this situation well? And it starts by us inviting outsiders into our circle. It starts by us learning more about ourselves to see like what we're really good at, what we, how we want to use that to impact the world. So I love that. Love thoughtfully. That's great. As we wrap up here, you've given me uh, so much great time here. I want to respect your time. Your daughter's probably going to wake up very soon and <laughs> want, want the next meal. But if people want to find out more about you, about Person Clutch, about your story, just anything, what are the things that you want them, to, as we wrap up here, what are the things you want them to grab onto? Social media handles, website, those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. So we are at personclutch.com. And all of our social media handles are Person Clutch with the and spelled out. And then if anyone wants to reach out to me, I love connecting my emails, just jen1n at personclutch.com. Awesome. Person Clutch, that feels like something that should have been taken. <laughs> right? I own way too many domains and social media handles <laughs> for ideas that I get. And so many times it's hard to get it because you're like, oh, that's so obvious. Somebody already snagged that and sure enough. But then other times, like, like with Let's Give a Damn or other things that I've started where I'm like how is that not taken? And so I figured, you know, when you just said personclutch.com, I was like, wait, how is that not taken by somebody that was, you know, looking, that's really cool. I love the name. I love, you know, the mission behind it. I love that you were able to get, I do a lot of brand consulting and stuff. And I'm like, you got everything that you need to communicate well. I love that. I love that. Well, Jen, thanks so much for joining me today, for joining us, the Let's Give a Damn family. I'm grateful for uh, your life and your work and We'll be excited to uh, continue watching what you and the team do in Ethiopia, Guatemala, around the world. We're so excited for you. And uh, yeah, thanks for the time today. Yeah, thanks so much, Nick. This was great. Appreciate it. Friends, I hope that conversation with Jen Lewis was super helpful for you. I know I enjoyed it. I was challenged by her passion, her desire to change the world through this unique venue that she's chosen, Purse and Clutch. If you loved our conversation, Go tell her and tell the team at Person Clutch everywhere on social media and at personclutch.com. Go buy some products from them. Here's the deal that I told you about that she had for you guys, for the listeners of Let's Give a Damn podcast. Free shipping on U.S. orders for all of January through January 31st. Free shipping on U.S. orders. I know so many people that won't buy something because of the shipping price. For some reason, that is a barrier for buying something is shipping price. So if you go through the order process, buy what you want to buy from Person Clutch. You're supporting makers in Guatemala and Ethiopia. And you put in the code GIVEADAM, all caps, GIVEADAM. You will get free shipping on your order, on U.S. orders, 
through January 31st. If you want to get in touch with Jen, hit her up, jen at personclutch.com. That's her email, jen at personclutch.com. She responds super quickly, and I know she would love to hear from you what you learned from this podcast episode, what your takeaways were, and if there's any ways you want to help them. Uh, hit her up there. And if you're still listening at this very end, I'm very honored. That means you love what we're doing and you're really invested in what we're doing. So just as a last minute kind of housekeeping stuff, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That helps us a ton. Please share this episode and others that you love with your friends, with your family on social media, in person, send a tweet, send a text right now. Make sure you get other people listening to this. And if you wanna help us make more of these, all of this costs money. You can go to patreon.com forward slash let's give a damn patreon.com forward slash let's give a damn. We have some new rewards on the different tiers, $1, $5, $10, $25. Check it out. I love you so much for being here. Thank you for spending time with me, for sharing these stories. Much love to you and yours. I look forward to spending time with you next week. Bye for now.